went. Thank you for our young people that went. Thank you certainly for the leaders. Um, and I'll tell you from what you can see there in the leaders real quick, there's nothing like going on a mission trip to change your life. And a mission trip doesn't have to be across the big waters. A mission trip doesn't have to be to a place that speaks a foreign language that you don't understand. A mission trip is any time you'll allow yourself to get out of your comfort zone, put yourself in God's hands, and say, take me where you want me and use me as you will. God will teach you stuff. God will change your life forever. Here in our story this morning, the book of Luke, chapter 22, our, our text will come. I'll begin reading in verse number 31, but a little bit to let you know where we're at. This is the chapter of the Lord's Supper. Jesus has told some of the disciples to go in the upper room. You know the story. You'll find the stuff and to come back. And he prepares the, the supper upstairs, and he had what we call the Lord's Supper. He had that final supper there with him, and then he poured the wine. He said, this is my blood, which is shed for remission of sin. He told him to drink it, and he said, often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And then he broke the bread. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. So he had that time there with him in fellowship. But the Bible says that after that time, the disciples got to talking amongst themselves. And the Bible says there was a little bit of strife got in. That means they got to arguing. And the whole argument was about which one of us is going to be the greatest when we come into the kingdom. It wasn't about Christ. It wasn't about the kingdom. It wasn't about how to help others get there. It was about me. Which one of us will be the greatest? As we study the life of Peter, and we'll look at it a little bit, but there's not a doubt in my mind that Peter would have clearly thought that he was one of the ones in the runnings to be the greatest. And so from that, we pick up our text where Jesus looks over and says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Peter, not liking what he heard, answered Jesus and said, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. But Jesus had something else to say to Peter. I tell thee, Peter, the, the cock shall not crow this day. Before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Thank you. You may be seated. Something very interesting to me there in that part of that passage is when Jesus said, Satan hath desired to have thee, but I am praying for thee that thy faith fail not. The part of that that really gets my attention there says, When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. That phrase, art converted, comes from a Greek word. It means when you have reverted back. It means to go and to come again. Or it means to convert again or come back after you've gone away. So what that says is Jesus is telling Peter, I know that you're going to fall away. I know that you're going to deny that you even know me. I know that you are going to fail, but I know that you're coming back. And I've still got plans. Just because you're going to fail, I'm not done with you. So if you look at all of it in context, Jesus has told Peter the plan for his life. He's already told him 
previously that thou art Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus says you're going to be tempted. You're going to be tested. You're going to go through a trial, and you're going to fail. But when you come back, after you fail, after you come back to me, after you get it all worked out, use what you've learned to strengthen somebody else. I want to talk this morning about God's plan for your life. Not so much the plan, but what the plan presents. Because just as sure as God has a plan for your life, the devil's going to be after you. Everything in life has a target. If you play basketball, the target is, is the hoop. It's the basket. It's the net. If you play football, there's a target. It's the goal line. Call it what you may. But the target is the goal line, the cross. is where you get the points. If you play soccer, it's big in today's world. If you play hockey, any of that, there is a net. That is the goal. That is the thing to strive for. If you're in shooting sports, if you like archery, you like Rifles, pistols, any of the above, there's a bullseye. All of that is a target. Everything has a target. But in life, God's plan for your life is the enemy's target. That's what he's out to destroy. God, I pray you'd take this message this morning. God, I pray, Lord, would you teach it first to me. God, I pray that I get everything out of this that I'm supposed to, everything that you would have me to learn. God, I pray that you'd teach it to me that you might teach it through me. God, I have no idea what you have in store for anybody in this place, but I know your word will never return void. God, I know that you have an intended purpose. I know that somebody in here today, God's about to get something just from you. I pray for every soul in this place, every ear that can hear. God, I pray, would you touch them right now? I pray that your spirit would move. I pray you divide this lesson that each one get what they need, God. Do what only you can do and speak to each heart in this place that we might be a better servant, God that we might live better for you, that we might serve you better, God, that we might be able to endure some of the sifting, some of the things that you allow. God, I ask you to move, Father. Bless the teaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here in our story this morning, we we got the story of this, this man named Peter. Peter, of course, being one of the 12, one of the chosen 12. And he's not just one of the 12, but you know he's part of the the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He's one of the three in that inner circle with Christ. But Peter's a man in the Bible that I feel like a lot of us can probably relate to. My, my family, we just what we are. We, we grew up country as turnip greens, and it don't matter where I travel. People ask me if I'm from Georgia or Alabama. You just can't hide that old accent, nor do I try. Um, but, but my roots come down South Alabama. My grandparents lived down there. And I remember when we'd go down South, you know, you you would hear things about people. And and I think that's the kind of things they would say about a man like Peter. Bless his heart. (laughs) You know, he means well. You know, he had good intentions or he just wouldn't have done that the way he did. Bless his heart. You know, he tries so hard. He wants to do good, but he just couldn't seem to keep his foot out of his mouth. It just seemed like he was always getting in his own way. Y'all remember where I started? This this said I think Peter's the one we could most relate to in the Bible. Sometimes we just can't seem to get out of our own way. Peter's not always wrong. After all, it was Peter when Jesus asked the disciples, 
who do men say that I am? And he said, well, some say John the Baptist and some Elias or one of the prophets. And Jesus looked at the disciples, asked them another question. But I want to know about you. Who do you, talking to the twelve, who do you say that I am? Peter, looking at the others, pops up and says, I know who you are. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon, or Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed the Son to you. And he went on and gave him the part about founding the church. So, so Peter isn't always doing things wrong. It was out on that boat that night when the disciples were all on the boat. They were all fearing for their lives on the Sea of Galilee. And the storm came and they thought they were going to die. And the Bible says Jesus came walking on the water and said, And would have passed them by. But they cried out. But Peter's the one. And he cried out and said, Lord, if it be you. Bid me that I should come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. If you look, according to the word of God, from the beginning of creation to today, Peter's the only man beside Jesus Christ himself to ever walk on the water. So he didn't do everything wrong. But in that same text, he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. Peter is a, the one that night... Um, When, he, when he's talking with the Lord here in, in this conversation, he says, Lord, if nobody else stays, if nobody else follows you, if nobody else stays with you, I'm not going anywhere. Let all of them go, say what you want about them, but I'm the one. I'm going to stay with you. I'll never leave your side. I will follow you under prison. I will follow you under death. And Jesus said, no, Peter, let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to deny that you even know me. So Peter has his ups and downs. But one thing is for certain about the life of Peter. God has something special in store for this man Peter to do. And because of that, Satan has singled him out, wants to destroy him. I know a lot of us go through storms at different times. But if you're in a storm this morning, or maybe it seems like, Life has singled you out and turned against you. you. You may even be serving God more than you ever have. You may be closer to God than you've ever been. You may be reading more, trying harder than you've ever been. You may be in a different place. It doesn't matter. You can be there. You can be straying. But if you're in a storm, I, I hope to give you some encouragement this morning. I hope we can take this passage and you can learn something about what God himself is doing in your life. When you're singled out by God for a specific work, you need to rejoice. You need to rejoice that God would even be mindful of you. Anybody amazed that God's even mindful of who you are? We ought to rejoice that God would single us out. We ought to rejoice to know that God has us on his mind and he's planning to use something. But by the same token, when you are singled out by God, you will be singled out by Satan. When God calls you out, when God calls you up, when God singles you, when God anoints you, when God sets you for a divine purpose, be prepared because the gates of hell are about to open against you. Amen. Look there at the text there just for a minute. It says that Satan hath desired to have thee, to sift thee like wheat. So I was studying that, and I got to thinking about two kinds of sifters. I've told you before, I used to work at a hunting plantation down in South Georgia, training dogs, teaching people to shoot shotguns. And one of the things I did on the side, I, I ran traps, and that's not going to make me very popular 
with some of you in here and probably certainly not a lot out there, but it don't change the fact that it's what I did, it's what got done. And we didn't have have a heart traps back then. We had what's called steel traps. But nuisance, animal nuisance was a problem then. And so we, we trapped coons and, and fox and, and bobcats, and it was money. Coons was 15, a fox was 25, a red fox 35, a bobcat was 55. A coyote was whatever the landowner would pay you to get them off their property. But you set traps. But to set a trap, you come into something kind of like an embankment, maybe one of these steps. You make your little hole. That's where the food source is going to go. And you dig out a little hole here, and, and you put it in front. But we have what's called a sifter. It was a square box, and it was a board on one side. The rest of it was a mesh net. When you took out the dirt, you put it on top of the board. When you finished your set, put everything down, you took that board, and you sifted it over your set. And what you're doing is you're sifting the dirt finally through it so that everything gets in there loose because you can't have any impurities in your set. You can't have anything that will hinder that trap from, from operating correctly. So what you're doing, you're getting out all the rocks and all the sticks and all the lumps to make things work. You're sifting out that is good to get rid of the trash. The other sifter that came to mind is my mom. My mom had one of those little round cylinders about yay big around, about yay tall, and it has a little mesh net in the bottom of it. it got a handle on the side, and my mom's going to make biscuits or bake a cake. She gets that thing out, and she puts the flour in the sifter. Getting, getting the flowers coming through, and then it gets where it won't come. There, there's like a wire wheel in there with a handle, and you begin to turn it, and it, and it gets it all flipped up. And, and what happens, all of the fine flour goes into the pan, and all of the garbage goes into the trash. Sometimes that's just what God's doing in our life. Sometimes God's just sifting some things out of our life. And sometimes, you can see it in the story, God even lets Satan do the sifting. But what he knows is when it's said and done that God's going to take the fine powder. God's going to take the refined product. God's going to take it after all the stuff has been removed. God's going to take the pure product, and he's going to use it for his own glory, and he's going to throw all the stuff over here in the trash. Sometimes there's just some sifting goes on in our life. God may have had to let you go through whatever you went through to get you to where you are. God may have had to let you go through that to get some stuff out of our life. But number one, he knew you could handle it. He wouldn't let you go through it if he didn't know you could handle it. If he knew you could handle it and he let you be sifted, he let you go through it. Then on the other side, you come out more pure, more refined, more usable, which means now, like he told Peter, he can use you to help others. He can use you to strengthen the brethren because we have been sifted. So when you're going through things, you're going through storms and trials and troubles and problems. God's not out to, re- to, to destroy you. He's just out to refine us a little bit. He's just out to sift and get some of that junk out of our life. He maybe even let the enemy sift you a little bit to get that stuff out. You know, there's a lot of stuff still in our life. You know all that old music we used to listen to? You know all those places we used to go? Maybe y'all didn't, but I got my past. That past that the devil likes to remind you of? Tell you about how you're no good? Maybe that stuff in your life that the devil uses to remind you of even before you're saved, how people used to tell you you'll never amount to anything. You'll never be anything good. You're too busy in mischief. You're not ever going to be anything good. 
And it's so prevalent in our lives. We talked about it Wednesday night that all you got to do is walk into a gas station, pick up a candy bar and a Coca-Cola and walk out driving down the road and think, why am I singing that song? Oh, yeah, y'all, Jay, what's the bullfrog? I ain't going to better preach now. Jason, y'all going, y'all missed it Sunday night. That's just our little inside story. Thanks to Jason Ritter. God says, take all that stuff. Take all of it that keeps popping up. All of it you keep remembering. Everything that's a hindrance. Everything that bothers you. Everything that's a weakness. Everything that was broken. Everything. Take all of it and put it in the sifter. And let me work on it some. And when I get through, there's going to be a refined product because the sifting purifies. It removes all of the junk out of our lives. Think about this. When God made man, the Bible says he made man in his own image. But that would have been Adam and Eve, correct? But we know what Adam and Eve did, how they messed it up. So you and I aren't born in the image of God. We're in the image of Adam. We're in the messed up product. We're descendants of Adam and Eve. That means we're in the broken image. We're in the sinful image. We're in the messed up image. That means we have sin in our lives. We are created after Adam, which was a sinful being. That means we have stuff in our life. All God is doing is trying to sift us back to what we were supposed to be in the first place. As children of God, he's just getting the junk out. Anybody in here ever feel like you've ever been through some sifting in your life? Probably most of us can look back now at some things that we went through in our life, especially if you were to take this story in context and look at it and think back. Uh, it, at the time, it seemed like hell on earth. At the time, it seemed like you'd never survive. But now you can look back and realize God was just sifting you. God was just getting some stuff out. And now you can look back and you can see how you're stronger now than you were then. You can see how what you went through made you different than what you used to be. You can see how it changed you. You may be going through some sifting right now. You may be in a storm right now. You may have some problems going on in your world and your life, your life right now. God says, hold on. God has a plan for your life. And because of that plan, the devil desires to sift you like wheat. Because of that plan, just because God has the plan for you does not mean you're ready to do that plan yet. Just because he's calling you out doesn't mean you're ready. Right now, he may just be dealing, trying to get you to step out. He may be just waking you up at night trying to call you to a plan. That doesn't mean you're ready yet. That just means he's working on calling you. But you still got to be prepared to be what he wants you to be. Just as sure as God calls you, the enemy's coming. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you. <laughs> you know what? Some of y'all tell me all the time, hey, man, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Miss Phyllis said it walking through the door a while ago. And I mean it with all my heart. Thank you so much. You have no idea how much I count on your prayers. Down here Sunday mornings and Tuesday mornings and men's prayer meetings and I hear people call out my name, and I hear people praying for, for their pastor. You have no idea how comforting that is to me. 
You, you have no idea how much strength that gives me. You have no idea how much encouragement it gives me to know that I can go forward in the power of God because I got people praying for me, and prayer is more powerful than any, any enemy that's around me. People send me text messages that say, hey, Lord, laid you on my heart. Man, that means the world to me. But can you imagine if Jesus were to send you a text? Just want you to know I'm praying for you right now. What would you think about that? Would that be pretty awesome to know that Jesus was praying for you? And he sent you a text to let you know? I think he does. I think he does. I got one of them. I don't know. I told you a little bit about it last week. I've never seen it. But I, I got text messages last week. And sometimes you start, you start wondering what's up when too many people send you a message. Lord, what are you? Got all these people praying. What in the world is about to happen? But, but I, I got a message that, that said, you've been heavy on my heart all week. Not from a church member here. You've been heavy on my heart all week. Just want you to know I'm praying for you. Then I have one that says, hey, you've been on my mind a lot this week. Just want you to know I'm praying for you. That was my church member here. Then I have one on Sunday that's not a church member here. Said, the Lord laid you on my heart. Want you to know I'm praying for you. It's three in a week. Two of them aren't even members here. And about that time, it dawned on me. That means Jesus was thinking about me. That means Jesus was praying for me. And he told one of his own, pray with me where two or more agree. So that means Jesus was praying for me, and he had somebody else send me a text that said, I just want you to know I'm praying for you right now. So Jesus told the disciples here in this story, he says, all of you are going to be offended of me this night. All of you are going to leave my side. And Peter said, Lord, what you saying ain't going to happen. It might happen for everybody else, but that ain't happening for me. I'm above all that. It ain't going to happen. Can, can I just... Pause right there and put a little warning in for the super spiritual. Those that say, I would never do that. I would never do what Peter did. I would never do what he did. How can he even call himself a Christian knowing what he did? Well, I can't believe what kind of sin he did. How could he come sitting here in a church on Sunday morning knowing what he did? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, that old pharisaical nose that people like to look down. How in the world? Now, I would never do that. Can I tell you something? You just ordered your sifting and it's on the way. Only God can say never and always. And when you look on somebody else as though you're better or stronger and above all that, and you begin to vocalize, how about them? Yours is on the way. Peter thought he'd never deny Jesus, but he did. Look at the sequence for just a minute. Jesus has been arrested. The other disciples have fled, but Peter is following along. Now, now here's something you can easily miss in this story if you're not careful. And this is really it in the message, but I'm going to take a minute while I'm right here at it. In the story, Jesus is arrested. He's being questioned. But in Luke chapter 22, still there in the same story, if you look down at verse number 54, it says, Then they took him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. All the other disciples had left. Peter's at a distance following. But verse number 55 says, And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Peter sat down with the enemy. 
He didn't just sit down with the enemy. He's using the enemy's fire to warm himself. And somebody comes by and says, you're one of them. I saw you with Jesus. You're one of them. He says, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm not one of them. Leave me alone. But he stayed around the enemy's fire. A little bit later, another comes by and says, I recognize you. You're, you're one of them. I know you're one of them. He says, man, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm not one of them. But he just stays up by the enemy's fire. About an hour and a half later, another one comes by and says, you're one of them. You're a Galilean. You've got to be one of them. I recognize you. And he began to curse them. You hang around the enemy's fire long enough. You'll start acting just like them. You can't hang out with a bad crowd. There's a reason for an old saying that says you run with the dogs, you're going to get fleas. You hang around the enemy's crowd long enough, you're going to start acting like the enemy. You're going to revert back to the ways of the world. You're going to go back to the things God has delivered you from. Peter had been brought out, but he went back. You know why? He was lured in by the things of the world. The fire was warm. The fire was attractive. It seemed necessary, just like the things the devil's showing you now. Look how good that looks. Look how awesome that would be. Oh, if you just had that, come on over here. The things that the devil shows you look warm and attractive, but they lead to death and destruction. Don't hang around the enemy's fire. You don't have no business in their camp. Well... That's all free. The Bible says in verse number 60 that immediately the cock crew. Verse number 61, it says that the Lord turned and he looked upon Peter. Choose your friends wisely. Choose your friends wisely. Back to the message. Verse number 62, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Is there anybody in here... Well, don't, don't raise your hand and sit one of those kind of questions. Is there anybody in here that has ever failed God? In your Christian life since you've been saved, is there anybody in here that has ever failed God miserably? You failed him and you know it. Yes, See, I'm not pardoning what you did, but the failure just might have been a part of your sifting. God just might have had something special planned for you in your life, and, and God had to let you be sifted first. And so the enemy came and he tempted you and maybe you made your mistake. But some things had to be sifted out. See, when you fail God, that's the same thing that Peter did. It is to deny Christ. There are no big sins, little sins, separate sins. Sin is separation from God. All sin is the same in God's eyes. All sin is separation from God. So that means to do anything is the same thing as to deny Christ. It's no different. But if you're a Christian... If you are indeed a child of God, when you sin, when you deny God either in word or in deed, when you do anything against the will of God and you know it, it ought to make you weep. You find Peter weeping. If you can sin and deliberately disobey God and it doesn't bother you, you need to check on your salvation. Because I don't believe that the Holy Spirit of God can live in you and not convict you for doing what is against the will of God. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just trying to get you to help realize where you are before it's too late to do anything about it. If sin grieves the heart of God and the Holy Spirit lives in the heart of a man, then sin has to grieve the heart of the man. And if it doesn't grieve the heart of the man... 
And I'd be hard-pressed to really believe that the heart of God lives in it. Jesus is dead. Let me get on the story. Jesus is dead. They placed him in that old borrowed tomb. He borrowed it for the weekend. He just needed a little weekend hangout. He's just going to get away for a couple of days. Brand new. Nobody ever stayed in it before. Belonged to the rich right there amongst all the rich. Jesus just needed to borrow it for the weekend. They carried his body and they, they laid it in the tomb. And all night, Friday night, that body laid there in that grave. All day Saturday, the stone was secured. Nothing moved, no signs of life. Everything's there. Jesus is behind that stone. All night, Saturday night, nothing moved, no sign of life. The guards are out here gambling, doing what they're doing, having a good time. Nothing moves. But there's another story that happened that weekend. All night, Friday night, Peter was weeping all over town. Peter was crying, brokenhearted, knowing the last thing he saw was the face of his Lord look at him, knowing that he did what the Lord said he'd do. All he could remember was denying Jesus. All he could remember was the look on his face all day long. Saturday, Peter was full of remorse. Peter was brokenhearted. Anybody ever let God down and you know it, you know what I'm talking about. He is brokenhearted, man. He's beside himself. I've let down the Christ. I could have defended him. I could have done more. I told him I would die with him. I should have kept my sword in my hand. I should have stood up there when I cut Malcolm's ear off. I should have just kept on. I should have just kept fighting. I let it go. All night, Saturday night, I have no doubt that Peter was sleepless. Peter was all upset. Peter was worried. All he could remember is, I failed God. The last time I saw Jesus is the time I let him down. What if I never see him again? It's all gone. Look what I did. But early on Sunday, on Sunday morning, <laughs> there was some women went down to that old tomb, going to put some spices on the body of Jesus. But they found out that body didn't need no spices. It done been spiced from heaven above. It was standing upright. And here's what he said. You go tell the disciples and Peter. Come on, meet me at Galilee. Peter, just like you and I, Peter has done enough to disqualify himself as a child of God. Peter has done enough to be disqualified, but God is... I love those two words. <laughs> yeah, it don't matter what you put in right there at work. Peter has done enough to be disqualified. Anybody know what I'm talking about yet? Anybody kind of get a feeling? Anybody let God down? Anybody done some things? Anybody sinned since you got saved? Anybody feel like you got something in your life that would disqualify you as a child of God? But God, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, said my grace is sufficient. And he moved it all away. So in order to close out the message, I need to move a little further ahead in the story. In the book of Acts, Jesus is meeting with the disciples again over on that side of that hill. And, and after he left, where he told them, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus, which you know, come back. In that same time, he's, he's been talking to the disciples. He's talking with them. He's, he's teaching them. And he said, you men stay right here. You men stay here at Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere till the Holy Ghost comes upon you. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit shows up. Another time out. Two or three, four weeks ago, whenever it was, I was driving Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, West Virginia, Virginia. I was driving across the top up there. It's about 2, 2.30 in the morning, and I'm trying to find something on the radio to listen to, and I found what I thought was a preacher. 
he was ranting and raving. He was going, I got some preaching on. Thank you, Lord, because the pickings were slim. I was over in the mountains or what much radio. Got some preaching. It didn't take me but just a minute to figure out I was listening on air to a false prophet. He wasn't a preacher. I was listening to a man from that group called himself the Seventh Day. And he was all down on the church. He was talking about Faith Baptist Church. You know those nuts that go to church on Sunday because they think that's the day you're supposed to go to church when the Bible clearly says that you're to rest on the seventh day. Even the book says it. How do so many miss it? Can I tell you that's a false religion? And can I tell you something else? I don't know who he was. I couldn't stomach what he was saying very long, so I went ahead and just turned it off. And me and, me and the, Lord, or the Lord and I just got along and had our own time. I didn't need nobody else on there. I wish I knew who he was because I wish I could call that that. That distracted young man. I wish I could call him and tell him about a man named Jesus. I wish I could call him and tell him about a man that came and changed all that. I wish I could call and tell him about, hey, you can live in the Old Testament law if you want to, but thank God I'm in the New Testament dispensation of grace. You want to live under the law, live under the law, but you can't keep it or Jesus would have never came. So if you're going to live under the law, it's going to be a long, miserable eternity for you. On the first day of the week, Jesus got up out of the grave. But there's something else happens on the first day of the week. See, it ain't all about the day of rest. That was the Old Testament. That, that's what he gave to the children of Israel. We're not Jews. Anybody need to be reminded of that? And we're not under the Old Testament law, the covenant of the law, the dispensation of the law. We are under grace. We are under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Something else that happened after Jesus got up on the first day of the week. It's called the Feast of Weeks. It's called, it's seven weeks of seven. And it's on the 50th day. The number 50 is a representative of the Holy Spirit. And on the 50th day is the day of Pentecost. And on the 50th day, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them clothes tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost it's on the first day of the week that church began it's not about a day of rest it's about a day of celebration it's about a day of joy it's about a day of rejoicing it's about a day of happiness it's about a day when everything was changed all things passed away behold all things become new so the Holy Spirit comes in and all the people began to look as they're up there and they're all rejoicing, having a good time. Everybody says, man, look at them nuts. they drunk as a skunk. And Peter says, oh, no, we're not drunk. Look how early in the morning. He's like, that matter's still drunk. We're, we're not drunk. Look how early. And, and look, look who stands up and begins to preach. It's Peter. Peter is the one. This is the first day of church. This is the first ever held church assembly. The Holy Spirit had just gotten there on the first day of the week. Peter is the first preacher to get to stand up and preach on a Sunday morning in church. And he preached in verse 37, says that when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and unto the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. With many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation that they gladly received. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Man, what a church service. 
Judgment journey can't touch that. The Holy Spirit showed up in that place. Peter is called out. Now, let me put the whole thing into context real quick, and we'll go home. Peter is a follower of Jesus Christ, just like you and I. Peter was walking with Jesus. He wasn't really doing anything wrong. He's just walking alongside Jesus, and he says, Satan hath desired to have you, to sift you like wheat. See, this actually started a long time ago. The desire of Satan to destroy Peter started back when the call of Jesus on his life began. See, this story isn't about the denial. That's just part of the sifting. This story is about the church. Remember what we talked about in the beginning? What Jesus told Peter, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And then he said, Thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is looking way past that one night. He's looking all the way down through the portals. He's looking down at what Peter's going to be. He's looking at the plan for Peter's life. He's telling Peter what I'm going to do with you, but he said it, and that means the devil heard it. And the devil knew from that moment on that Jesus had a plan. On that day of Pentecost, being the first day of the church, Peter is scheduled to be the keynote speaker of the evening. That's what Jesus was talking about. And the devil said, "Mm -mm -mm. I've got to destroy this man, Peter. I've got to destroy the faith of this man, Peter. Because if he could just get rid of the church, if he could get rid of Peter, it might take the church out of the equation. We might not see those 3,000 souls saved. You and I might not even be here. If Peter had failed. See, God has a plan. Jesus vocalized that plan. And the devil heard that plan that included Peter. But God's not through making plans. God's got more plans. And you just might be Peter. God's got a plan for your life. Doesn't matter who you are, when you're born, where you're from, what your past is. Nothing matters. Nothing disqualifies you. Nothing changes you. God has a plan for your life. But when God sets his sights on using you, the devil will set his sights on destroying you. When God makes it obvious that he's about to use you, but, but, but he said, fear not. Jesus said, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you that your faith fail not. I mentioned a lot. I mentioned it again Wednesday night that failure is never fatal unless it's final. Don't let the sifting cause you to quit. Don't, don't let the sifting pull you away. God has something special in store for you. So, but you don't know what I've done. I, I don't care what you've done. You don't know where I'm at. It doesn't matter where you're at. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. Uriah was her husband and David's best friend. And David had him killed. But after that, according to God's own word, he is a man after God's own heart. Abraham, the Bible says he believed God and it was counted on him for righteousness. But you got to go back before that and look at when he doubted God. He lied about his wife. He didn't think God could take care of him in Egypt. He told a lie about the whole story. He doubted that God could provide the promise. He took an Egyptian girl named Hagar that was a handmaid, and he went into her to try to help God out to fulfill the promise. He did doubt God in the beginning. But after that, but after that, according to God's own word, He is a friend of God. Peter denied that he even knew who Jesus was 
right in the midst of all of it, right in front of Jesus himself, said, I don't know the man, began to curse the people. But after that, <laughs> anybody like after that? He became the rock on which Jesus built his church. God's got a plan for you. You may have already failed. You may have a failure in your life. But after all that, to just as sure as God has a plan for your life, the devil seeks out to destroy you. There's not a person in this room who, as a Christian, has not had something happen in your life that caused you to doubt God. I believe that. You can believe what you want. I don't believe that there is a person in this room who, as a Christian, has not had something happen in your life that made you angry with God. There's not a person here as a Christian has not has not gotten so out of shape with God that you quit going to church for a season. Don't let the enemy steal your faith. Don't let the enemy steal your joy. Think about Lazarus. Had Lazarus not died, we'd have probably never heard his name. Lazarus had to die for a whole lot of good. Had Lazarus not died, we'd have never seen the faith of Mary and Martha when they sent for Jesus. Had Lazarus not died, we wouldn't have that passage where Jesus taught us about, I am the resurrection and the life. If Lazarus hadn't died, we don't have any of that. If Lazarus hadn't died, we, we don't have any of that story. If Lazarus hadn't died, you got Jews who came to follow Jesus Christ who would have never believed had Lazarus not died. After he said, Lazarus, come forth, John chapter 11, verse 44, he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, loose him and let him go. And then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. There was a sifting of their faith. God took and set them right in the middle of the book. Sometimes, in order for God to use you, he's going to have to sift you through the pages of this book. He's going to have to sift you through his glory. He's going to have to sift you through his hand and get out all the junk and all the impurities and all this there, but then God will take the refined product and do something for the glory of God. That's your life. That's what God has in store for you and I. But God's plan for your life is the enemy's target. Jesus is praying for you that your faith fail not. Could I have you stand this morning? How many of you want to be used by God? I just want to be used by God. I just want to be found faithful i know i'm not worthy i know i'm just a wicked old sinner but i want god to use me any way can i tell you it's a bold statement to say here am i lord send me it's a bold statement just put yourself out and say i'll go where you say go do what you say do be what you say be it's a bold statement but it's a little bit bolder when you realize it to say here am i lord send me you may have to be sifted before you can be sent you may have to go through a trial that seems like hell on earth for you before you can be sent 
God's just working on making us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in order to do that, if you're like me, there's some impurities got to be sifted out. There's some things that I think got to be unthought. There's some things that we do, places we go. There, there's some stuff that's got to be sifted out of our lives. And all Jesus is doing, all God the Father is doing through Christ is just sifting out the impurities that he might take the refined product that is more in the image of Christ than it was. It's no different than the story of the silver, melting the silver and drawing off the draw to purify something. That's all the sifting is. So Jesus said, Peter, I'm going to use you to build my church. You're going to be the first preacher at the first church service. You don't even know what I'm talking about yet, but there's a day when the Holy Spirit's going to come, and on that day, I'm going to use you to found my church. You'll be the keynote speaker that day. I'm going to do something mighty through you. And the devil says, uh-oh, i got to do something about this guy here. But, but do you notice something? Do you notice something? You need to find hope in this. It's no different than with Jonah. It's no different than, than with Job. It's no different with anybody else in the Bible. They, they, the devil had to go to God first. Remember what he said about Job, has thou considered my servant Job? It had to come across. Well, what this means is the devil had to go before God in the presence of Jesus and say, hey, I want to sift him. May I please do that? Nothing can happen to you except God allows it. You, you can tell from the text, the devil wants to. He didn't say the devil's going to. He said the devil wants to. But what Jesus is letting us know is I'm going to let him sift you like wheat. And Jesus knows that you're going to fail and you're going to be broken hard. And there's a lot going to happen between now and then. But I'm coming back. And on the other side, after you've come back to me, after you've got back in church, after you've got over what hurt you, after you've got over the disappointment, after you've been like the prodigal son and come back home, I'm going to do something great through you. Failure never fatal unless it's final. Don't let the enemy keep you out of the will of God for your life. You will never live in a happier place on this planet than the center of God's perfect will. I don't care what you go through, there will not be a happier place than the center of God's perfect will. If I could have you just for a minute, heads bowed, eyes closed. Christians, I'm going to ask you to be praying right now that if there be anybody in this building who never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, would you make today the day? Are you willing to say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner? Are we going to say, Lord, I'm asking you to come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, and save my soul in Jesus' name? Listen, that ain't some magic prayer. That's just you talking to God. That's confessing your sins with your own mouth, which must be done. For all of sin that comes short of the glory of God, there must be an admittance. There must be a repentance. There must be a turning away. Are you willing to say, Lord, forgive me of my sins and save my soul? It's not rocket science. It's the blood of Jesus. It's way better than rocket science. It's the blood of Jesus that will wash away every stain, every sin, every transgression. Wash away all your past and give you a new name and glory prayed this morning and said, hey, I've trusted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I walked in here this morning. I wasn't sure, but I know now this morning I've asked God to wash away all my sins. I know I've let God down a lot of times. I've made mistakes. I'm a failure. I have been, but not anymore. I'm going to live my life for Christ. I've trusted Christ this morning. I ask Him to save my soul. Nobody's looking around. Heads about, eyes are closed. Right here. You raise your hand. 
I pray to receive Christ this morning. I just want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. I just want to rejoice. So Christian, I asked you earlier, I said, don't raise your hand. I asked you earlier, have you ever failed God?